on this episode of the Sports Stone Podcast, another Liverpool breakdown. Liverpool, Newcastle, St. James Park. As Jurgen Klopp, I think, best said it himself. This was better than the Barcelona game. Perhaps an overstatement under emotion because the Barcelona game was something remarkable. This was also something remarkable. Liverpool win 2-1 away at St. James's Park after a very soft goal courtesy of a mistake from Trent Alexander-Arnold. And then going down to 10 men courtesy of Virgil van Dijk red card. 60 minutes, over 60 minutes with 10 men. 1-0 down and then they come back. Darwin Nunez. He does it for Liverpool and they are now undefeated in the Premier League going into the game against Aston Villa. Let's break it down. Before we start, I'd just like to sort of give, a, give an apology regarding the inconsistency in uploading. So I had a Bournemouth podcast recorded after the Bournemouth game. Um, but as you guys have probably been able to tell from this mic, um, I've bought a new mic, a switch mic. That last mic was, um, it was good. It lasted me a while, but... Um, when I recorded the Bournemouth podcast and in the post-production when I was editing it, I could just hear a huge humming sound. So I had to get a new one. Um, and then with this Newcastle podcast, look, I'm eight, if Liverpool play on a Saturday or a Sunday, the aim is to always get out the podcast on a Monday or Tuesday, ideally on a Monday. That was the same plan here, um, but just stuff just came out and I, I was probably a bit less proactive than I, than I should have been. Um, but yeah, the the goal was to get, get regular and, and find a Monday, Tuesday upload um, if Liverpool playing on the weekend. And then obviously also work towards midweek uploads when the midweek games start. But yeah, that's an apology from my end. We're going to sort of get more regular because I, I really have some good ideas regarding Liverpool and I, I sort of want to build on them throughout the season. Anyways, let's get into this match. Yeah, so the Liverpool lineup was as expected. I think with Wathero Ender now having a week to settle, um, he was obviously always going to start. And then McAllister and Soberslai, uh moved into their uh, normal number eight roles. Um but it was interesting in the sense that Sobosla like, continued to play that right side of number eight, and I think Klopp is now. I think he's been convinced by that. I think in preseason, the aim was to actually do the opposite. McAllister's right, Sobosla on the left, um, attacking the left half space. But I think um, seeing Sobosla's early performances, Klopp is probably just happy and doesn't want to doesn't want to tinker. Um, so then Cody Gagpo, instead of playing the left side of number eight, he moved into striker, um, which I expected. Um, because I think Klopp just really likes the defensive work rate and the ability of Gagpo to sort of drop in and then drive with the ball to sort of further exploit vertical spaces. I think I think Klopp really enjoys that um, and obviously pressing as well. Um, so it's always going to be Gagpo and Jota. I think that's the reason Nunez doesn't start. Like obviously we're going to come to Darwin Nunez. He's, he's a focal part of this victory. He is in fact the main storyline of this victory. So we will definitely talk about Nunez. But um, I guess to just sort of build the idea from the start, the reason Nunez isn't starting is pretty clear. And I think Klopp has in fact mentioned it publicly before. It's pressing. Um, Nunez gives he has, gives a different dimension in, in terms of pressing and he gives a different dimension in terms of profile he is Nunez can't drop deep and then carry the ball he is a striker an out and out striker who will run into space who will hold the ball up um, and, and be, be sort of aggressive and link up and look to score goals that's what Nunez does and Liverpool haven't had sort of an out and out striker the main goal scorers are Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah who come in from the half spaces on the wings um Roberto Firmino was once again that cog who unlocked the midfield, I guess, or unlocked those Salah and Mane through his sort of drop-in work. And Nunez doesn't provide that. And Klopp himself said in the, in the post-match press conference that um, they need to sort of just find a system that Nunez works in. I, I, I did find the statement a bit odd because you've had a year, but I also don't blame him because there's also been a lot of instability in that year. So he's had to work on other issues. And he found stability in Gagpo and Jota, so he didn't change from that. 
But um, I think the long-term plan is to always start Nunez, and he's going to be a major part of Liverpool's, Liverpool's work. And yeah, Newcastle lined up in their 4-3-3, pretty regulation lineup. Anthony Gordon on the left, Alexander Isak on the right, um, Almiron, and then Linton, Joe Linton, uh, Tonali, and uh, Bruno Gimmersch making up the midfield, Trippier, Burns, Botman, um, yeah, yeah, making up the back line. I was very happy with the young... I, I thought Young Club had a great managerial game, by the way. Like, even before the red card, I, I thought I was just very happy with what I was seeing. And where that started off was, let's focus on Liverpool's press when they had 11 men. So in the first 13 minutes of the game, let's focus on what their plan with the press was. It was slightly different to what it normally is. And to, I guess, contextualise what it normally is. Um, and I mean, if you want to learn about more detail, literally go watch any other Liverpool breakdown or go watch any other football podcast on this on this podcast. I always talk about Liverpool's press and how Pep Lenders and Jurgen Klopp have come up essentially with a, um, a very set zone press. Um, and there's a YouTube video on it as well. If you go in the, the coach's voice, Pep Lenders sort of breaks down the, the plan for Barcelona. Obviously, that was a more aggressive iteration of Liverpool's press. Um, but yeah, to get into Liverpool's press, the goal is always, always for the front three to mark essentially um, the back line or even five. The, the front three, the goal of the front three is to press sort of the, the back five or, or, or the back four and a winger uh, or a midfielder dropping into space. The, mid, the, the, the goal of the midfield block is to sort of step in behind the front line block and congest the midfield and then the high line steps up according to the situation. So that's usually what the goal is. So... Um, I guess to contextualize it, they have a coherent frontline press. Diaz, Gagpo, and Salah in a normal loop of press would be pressing together and pressing the Newcastle backline. In this match, it was slightly different. McAllister, Alexis McAllister was part of the frontline instead of Luis Diaz. So now you can ask, where did Luis Diaz go? The way Newcastle line up is that um, in build-up, they essentially have a 3-1 or a 3-2. Kieran Trippier essentially plays as a wing-back in build-up. He's not part of the backline. And that was something that Chelsea also did. I mean, yeah, that is what Chelsea did with Reese James and Chilwell. Chilwell, in fact, played as a winger. He wasn't part of the back line. And um, that's how Lupus press was broken so much. They would just go into um, the back line, go into a midfielder. The midfielder would disperse it wide to the wing back slash a winger. Or they would just go straight to the winger. And Lupus press would be caught out. And it was a futile press in that sense because they would always be broken regardless of what they were doing. And so Jurgen Klopp has noted this. So what did he do? He made Luis Diaz man-mark Kieran Trippier. So Luis Diaz was not part of the frontline press. He was man-marking Kieran Trippier. So that option, that outlet and build-up was now nullified. It was really good. I, I enjoyed it because it shows that Klopp, Klopp has learned and Klopp has developed from the, the, the mistakes of the first game and he isn't so stagnant to a system. And like I say that with a grain of salt because we have to understand who Jurgen Klopp is. He is the guy that brought Liverpool from nothing into one of the most tactical powerhouses in, in Europe. Um, and all these people on Twitter or, or these pundits where we're still learning about the game. So I'm sure Klopp had his ideas around why he didn't sort of mark that, that Chelsea wide options and why why he kept going with the press but it was good to see that he did here because to me it seemed just an obvious obvious solution so then i guess we have to focus on newcastle's build up then because that wide option wasn't there the 3-1 build up was becoming a bit ineffective so what would then happen is eddie howe you could see him on the touchline and, and um the infamous justin tindall um you could see them on the touchline indicating for one of joe linton and charlie to drop back and help sort of create a spare man and um 
help Newcastle sort of gain numerical superiority in the midfield. So that would that that would happen quite a bit. Tonali would drop in um deeper into Newcastle's own half to turn into a three two, which at times would be effective to break Liverpool's press, but usually how Liverpool work is if Tonali drops in someone will follow him. That's how the high press works. Um and I what what sort of Liverpool also did at times it was when Tonali dropped in, uh, the front line which would also be sort of shadow marking the the midfield. Um, Gagpo would drop in further to stay very close to Tonali, which allows McAllister to sort of hold his position, and then all of a sudden Newcastle's midfield is is congested, and so that's how Liverpool sort of try to limit Newcastle's build up. Um, it became a bit more complicated and a bit more messy after um, after Trent on his first yellow card, because then what Newcastle literally just did is just kept stacking down to Anthony Gordon, and Anthony Gordon would just run at that stage of press doesn't matter, because you have a person on the yellow card and you have a clear weakness, which it has kept going down to, it's very hard to limit that clear weakness of getting the ball to a certain player, because he can go anywhere and get the ball, and then run towards Trent Alexander-Arnold, how, how Klopp sort of tried to solve that was to get Mohamed Salah more heavily involved in defending, um, Diaz's role is understandable, we know why Diaz was heavily involved in defending, man marking Kieran Trippier, um, he's looking to sort of stop that wide outlet, especially build up, um, I think Salah's role became more defensively proactive as the game progressed, first with Trent's yellow card to sort of help him out in the duels against Anthony Gordon because he really couldn't challenge him, and then especially after Virgil van Dijk's red card because now you have 10 men, you need everyone involved defensively. I also really, really enjoy watching Newcastle play. There is just a refreshing quality about them. They just have so many expressive profiles, I think, throughout the pitch. Anthony Gordon, we know. We know he's an expressive profile. We didn't see the best of him, but we're starting to see the best of him sort of following the the breakthrough on the 21 Euros campaign. Um, Joe Linton, I, I love Joe Linton. I, I highly rate Joe Linton. Um, Tonali, I... I I watch a lot of Italian football, especially last year I've watched a lot of Italian football. If you guys follow me on Twitter, you'll know that I do a lot of threads sometimes on Italian football. Sandro Tonali, for me, is such a good player. And he's just such a machine, such a workhorse, which makes his substitution so surprising, which I'll touch on later, anyhow, substitution. But all these profiles, obviously Bruno Gimmerich, we know his quality, even Almiron, he's a great runner. He's a, he's a great outlet, he's a great cog. Isak gets involved in as well. Um, in fact, his involvement read, led to one of the sort of game-changing moments. Um, so this expression that they have, this sort of energy, this running, and th- th- I think that's the word you use for Newcastle. Is there a team that runs more than them? Is there a team that is so m- more physical than them? Probably not. I don't have any statistics on me to prove that. But they're so physical, they're so energetic, and I, I mean, a lot of the discourse on social media is that they're sort of uh, a replica of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in the past few years. I think there are a few few differences, but you can see the similarities. A very buzzing home crowd in St. James's Park. Energy, physicality, running. Th- those were sort of trademark and salient features of Jurgen Klopp's system. But yeah, this expression, this running, just uh, created this scintillating sort of one-touch give-and-go passing. Gordon cutting inside, uh, Tonali drifting in, Joe Linton going high up, Alexander Isak dropping back, Almiron going in the half-space. There was a lot to deal with for Liverpool. Um, and even in sort of build-up-wise, there was a lot to deal, deal with for Liverpool. Um, Newcastle had a highly, highly aggressive press. I think Liverpool started off well against the press. Um, because I think Newcastle weren't in a man-marking structure, but I think sort of what they end up doing is they essentially just went into a man-marking structure. How that worked is Newcastle midfield three and front three was in charge of pressing Liverpool's midf- midfield and defensive line. So um, there'll be someone on McAllister, there'll be someone on Silver Slide, there'll be someone on um, Endo and Trent. I think that's the key part that I have to stress. 
at all times, Endo and Trent always had one player on them. Why? Because, especially Trent, they are not the most effective when they are receiving back to goal and they have to turn and pressure. So what they then have to do is just play a cautious pass and then the pressure comes back to the back line and now all of a sudden the option of Trent and build-up isn't there so you sort of have to boot it forward or you have to go back, keep recycling and the play isn't building, right? And usually Liverpool is sort of try a pass that there is isn't there because that issue still lies i think Liverpool are too aggressive and too unsettled in possession especially when they are pressured what they do is they they go for the the hail mary pass essentially it's not really a boot up the field but it's like a it's a scintillating line breaking pass which would be one of the best passes of the match if it comes through but it doesn't usually work and they try that pass at least 10 times a match so they're constantly losing possession and on the back foot um but yeah, Newcastle's highly aggressive press really limited Liverpool's build-up, especially sort of after the first 10 minutes um, when Newcastle settled into the game. Let's come to the most infamous moment of the match. Virgil van Dijk's red card. I personally think Klopp said it best in the post-match interview. He said that there was no active contact. He was trying to play the ball, and in playing the ball, he got Alexander Isak's foot, um, but there was no active contact in the sense that he knew he was through on goal and he's going to take him out because he knows that if he gets through, he's going to score. I don't think that was Van Dijk's intention. His intention was just to win the ball in a duel because that's what he thought the situation was. And I think that's correct. Um, was it a foul? Yes, it was. I think I think from different angles, you can see that it ended up like he got the foot first, then he got the ball. So like he clad in the foot and then at the end in the follow-through, he got the ball. So I don't think he won the ball primarily. But the, the debate regarding if it's a red card is, was he through on goal? And if so, was he intentionally fouled to be limited from going through on goal? No, I, in that sense, I don't think there was active contact. So I, I believe it should have been yellow card at worst. So in terms of, I guess, the other other criteria to get a red card is the, the severity of the foul. Like, was it a high stunts or was it really high? Or was it really dangerous? Of course not. I think it was just regulation foul in that sense. Um, so in my opinion, it wasn't a red card. But... The argument could be made that Trent Alexander probably should have got a second yellow. I never thought he should have got a first yellow um, because he was fouled. Like, I think that when he went down on the sideline, that was a foul from Anthony Gordon. So, like, it doesn't matter if he throws the ball away or kicks the ball away. He's been fouled. Um, but I also think he should, if that was given, then the second yellow, the one we brought, brings down Gordon, should have definitely been given. But the reason that isn't given is because of this sort of inconsistency in refereeing. I think the referee knew that the first one was really soft. So if he gives a second one, especially like a minute or two minutes after, you've sort of just ruined the flow of the game because you've given two yellow cards for two very innocuous moments. So that's why you didn't give a second one. But it should have been given. Um, and VVD's one, I, I believe it was. But obviously that changes the game quite a bit, um, especially when Newcastle 1-0 up, right? Um, because of a, a mistake by Trent and Arnold, who was just rattled at that stage. It was just a very, very sloppy movement. So yeah, we have to focus on the Liverpool system after the red card. Um, how it worked was that Trent stayed providing width in possession. Um, Trent was now not inverting. Fair enough, because the the formation was already very narrow. Salah moved centrally, and it would essentially be Salah and Gagpo in the front line, or Gagpo would be sort of left mid, left wing behind him, so Salah would, at times, would be just the lone striker, um, and then it'd be sort of McAllister and Endo in a double pivot, and Soberslice sort of um, next to Salah, so they had no width, it was a very compact and very narrow formation, and Newcastle would then just sort of, um, they would put five into the midfield block at a stage, and making it impossible for Liverpool to break them vertically in the centre, so the game was congested, so Trey Langston on to stay wide, 
and go back to his sort of his crossing profile, his um, runs down the wing profile, makes sense because they need that width. Um, especially with Robertson being given a very strict rest defense instruction, instruction after the red card. He had to stay back. There were probably a handful of times he went up. Arnold obviously went up way more because that was his role. It was his role to provide with. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of how loop worked. In, in settled defense, it was more of a 4-2-2-1 or a 4-1-3-1 um, with, as I said, um, McAllister and Endo in the double pivot. Um, Gagpo... Um, Gagpo and Soboslai sort of right mid and left mid and the Salah is a lone striker um, the press was not as aggressive still when Newcastle in their own half you'd see probably um, Soboslai and Salah and Gagpo pressing a bit um, but it was sort of it was obviously less aggressive um, because the goal was to cut out any gaps and always have help in terms of overloads everyone had to be actively involved in cutting down space and goal scoring opportunities because you're one man down and um, that's why Gomez got brought on for, for Luis Diaz, because they saw that Diaz's use now is not that needed. We need more of a centre-back, and it's a shame on Luis Diaz. He was probably the best player up to that moment. He had the best attacking moments. So um, it was just a tactical sub. Um, but going to the second half, I think the main issue that Liverpool faced with 10 men was, in fact, attacking-wise. I think defensively, they were actually pretty fine. And I think this is sometimes a misconception of football, that like, with 10 men... It's a defense that falters. That's not necessarily true because I think ten men. In fact, the hardest thing is to score a goal because everyone is so defensively involved to sort of ensure the front gates don't open. It becomes then hard to get out and sort of string through together a coherent attacking play. And that was, I think, Liverpool's issue. Um, it was the build-up. They were boxed in by Newcastle, and obviously Newcastle and Eddie Howe are going to have a very, very aggressive press. It was aggressive already when Liverpool had eleven men. So it's going to be way more aggressive when they have 10 men. And the, the high line was at, at a stage at like the halfway line. Um, but I also thought Liverpool fed into this. It was still far too direct and narrow, um, especially to have 10 men. Because because they had such a compact formation, I, I, I understand the rationale. You have to play vertical. Um, but to play into the feet of players is perhaps not the not the way to go. I think you have to sort of string together passes side by side and then find space. Um, I think you have to slow down the tempo of the game. I think you need to give and go a lot. I think you need to have a lot of runners. Um, and I think the irony being is that when they played into space and when they ran into space through Darwin Nunez, that's when the goals came. Um, but that was the issue, I think, from minutes 45 to 70. And that's why Liverpool couldn't string together any attacking play. In terms of defence... I thought they were pretty good. Uh, they they considered probably two clear chances. I think the Almiron sort of tap in at the back post where she skied and probably his um, shot that hit the post. But even that was just I think a brilliant run. I thought I thought Gomez did brilliantly. I thought I thought Matt Tip and Gomez dealt with everything that came that way. I thought Robertson did too. He was Robertson was still sort of very poor and build up. I think um, I think in the most possession losses in the team it was like over ten possession losses, and that's that was I think conscious decision by Eddie Howe in Newcastle, um, they would make Liverpool play towards the left-hand side and then they would squeeze them because they know that Robertson's build-up is slightly limited from a sort of a left-centre-back position. Um, and that was smart. It, it worked. It was, it was quite effective. But yeah, I also just think that Liverpool's attacking play in general is just not the, the best and most coherent right now. They have a very good attack, but I think they're rushing it. Um, and I think Klopp knows that because I think it gets Bournemouth especially was very proactive in not doing that but when you have 10 men I get it, it gets the, the, this game stage just completely changes um, let's look at the substitutions 
I think Eddie Howe got it pretty wrong, and I think Jurgen Klopp got it bang on. I felt it was needless to bring off Ternali for Newcastle. He seemed the real engine room in the midfield. He was running, he was everywhere, he was pressing, he was he was passing, he was drifting in zones. He was everywhere. And having him to close out the game is, I think, the, the impetus and the energy and the organisation that they needed. But they had also run a lot, so perhaps Eddie Howe thought that, yeah, they were sort of tired and he had to take them off. Obviously, Anthony Gordon is another contentious one because he was really, really troubling. Trent Anzanan, I think if Gordon was still on, Anzanan would still have been so defensively cautious and that perhaps would have affected the way Liverpool went forward. But you can get the Gordon one because he seemed pretty knackered after 70 minutes in the in the first game as well. So, um, especially in this game, he was way more involved. He was such an active runner. So he perhaps just would have been highly tired and Harvey Barnes is a good player and he's a, he's a new signing as well so Eddie Howe perhaps wanted to get him involved I thought Klopp got a spot on and there was creativity in Klopp's substitutions which I wouldn't have seen unless he made the substitutions um, the play before he made some of the substitutions it was a play where Almiron sort of cut inside um, and McAllister and Gomez, McAllister was tracking back to sort of try and stick with Almiron, and Gomez was trying to sort of block and jockey Almiron, but McAllister, you could just see his legs were gone, there was sort of no shot, like, that he was going to keep up with Miguel Almiron there, and I think Klopp saw that, he saw that his legs were gone, and he was heavy legs, and he was struggling to keep up with the pace of the game, so he subbed him off, but instead of bringing on the, the, I think the obvious substitution who could drop straight into the pivot was with Stefan Bacetic, he brought on, um, he brought on Nunez, and then he pushed Salah back to the right, and they saw us line to a double six, and then Elliot came on for Endo, which was sort of a straight swap. So there's, there's two layers there. One, he didn't replace McAllister with the pivot player. He dropped Salah into the pivot and changed Salah's role and then brought on Nunez. But also, he made Harvey Elliott a, a sort of a, a pivot as well, which is not what you normally think. You, you think Harvey Elliott would probably take up instead the, um, the spot Salah took up. Um, or the spot where Sabaslai was when McAllister and Endo were in the pivot, sort of the right-hand midfield side, because that's where Harvey Elliott usually thrives. But it put him in a pivot um, was, I think, actually very smart, because I think Krupp knew that they needed a goal, so they needed control of the ball. And so what did he put in the pivot? He put a few more attacking profile players in the pivot who were press-resistant, who were able to dribble, who were able to sort of be a bit more controlled in the build-up to get Liverpool out of the, their box and into Newcastle's half. And it worked. Sobersai and Elite were able to do that very well. But then Nunez was the X-factor. And I don't know if Klopp was thinking this. I obviously can never to say that. But sliding Salah to the right and putting Nunez in striker, which ironically is the combination that in fact led to the goal. Salah from right midfield played a pass into Nunez for the goal, um, the second goal that is. It just brought a different dimension in attack. There was now a more physical player to link up with, and there was a player who thrives in running in behind. So now Liverpool weren't playing directly into the feet of their attacker, they were playing into the space, which is where Nunez thrives. That's how the two goals resulted. But I don't want to just focus on the two goals. Because I think even before the two goals, there were signs that Darwin Nunez was going to do something. Diego Jota and Darwin Nunez had a great link up on the left um, the left hand side. Nunez would hold the ball or pass into Jota. Um, Nunez would sort of hold the ball, pass into Salah or Silvis. Like he was very actively involved in that physicality, was I think a bit tough for Newcastle to keep up with because they had played a pretty pretty physical and energetic game and so bringing in Nunez in the last 10-15 minutes they, I just don't think they could keep up with his pace and his physicality but also I think the second solution that Klopp addressed was that solution that direct build up he was like okay you know what the space is here 
because we're so compact we can place we can play balls in sort of horizontally in behind and then Nunez can run in that's what they did and that's what Nunez provided obviously his finishing was remarkable like Darwin Nunez last season would have scored those goals I think for any striker to score those goals very good finishes because they weren't straightforward they weren't the best angles and they were still like they weren't like very close in the box they were more edge of the box and there was lots of pressure especially for the second one there was definitely pressure you score that you win it's in the 91st minute um so it's just great to see that growth but i think just klopp just got it so spot on with the way he looked at the game and the creativity and substitutions that he made another thing i want to focus on is actually darwin nunez defensive proactivity and work rate while sala was on the right mid and Nunez was striker, which meant Salah would sort of drop back into that midfield block, that four-man midfield block that Liverpool had, and Nunez would stay up front. At times, you would see Nunez in the box defending and Salah up front. That is good sort of reading of the game, because Mohamed Salah has worked his socks off for 85 minutes, and Darwin Nunez is this eager guy who's just been on for 10 minutes, who's just scored a goal, he wants a ball, so he's very proactive in defence, and all of a sudden, that Newcastle cannot retain the ball, and that's what happened as soon as Nunez came on, the pressure was there, the goal was coming to an extent, you felt, especially after the first goal, you felt that Liverpool may perhaps go get a second one, and I think that was also perhaps a very good sort of substitution of Klopp because Nunez does have this raw energy and this raw chaos which we know that he creates um, and he makes stuff happen every time he's on the pitch he makes stuff happen I think that's what Klopp wanted to do he wanted to sort of just make something happen get one chance and perhaps they can score and they did so yeah 2-1 was a victory uh, I think to sort of summarise and conclude Liverpool still need a lot of work in the, in the build up I think the press is becoming more coherent definitely um i think so sometimes Liverpool lose the lose track of the game state a bit so they let oppositions dominate them and then Liverpool become a bit chaotic i think that's definitely something they can grow into but i i don't think it does this game justice to sort of nitpick the, the mistakes because i think you have to i think you just have to pl- applaud the the tactical versatility that you can club in Liverpool displayed i think you just have to applaud that the resilience and the mental strength they display sort of moving away from the tactical side and more into the intangible side against a crowd that is rightly against you against a crowd that is compared to an anfield crowd against a team that doesn't lose under Eddie Howe at their home ground when they take a lead with 10 men they've taken lead and then you beat them is just remarkable and it's it's a sign this might be a victory that can really hopefully get some momentum into that football club if they can get some signings ideally a left side left side of center back and a, and a number six then perhaps the Liverpool faithful can start dreaming because they're showing some good signs tactically. There are still weaknesses there. They have definitely still not had a very, very good performance, but they're winning. They're winning despite the odds being against them. And I think that's sort of on a narrative sense, that's inspiring and that's momentum building. And I think that's what we're saying. But obviously, as we've discussed for 25 minutes, there are very good tactical positives and there are very good sort of tactical innovations and creations from Jurgen Klopp's Pepe Linders and the, the Liverpool side implemented and executed them very well. I think Newcastle, they're just going to regret not getting their second goal. I don't think they did enough, if I'm being honest. I don't think they did enough with against 10 men. They had to do much more, um, and they failed in doing that. And then I think they sort of lost the plot physically a bit, um, and they couldn't control Nunez. But yeah, a fascinating performance, a performance to talk about for the ages. Liverpool beat Newcastle 2-1. Aston Villa now. Um, perhaps I'll preview that, perhaps in a special episode later down the week, um, after deadline day, maybe, so a Saturday upload, perhaps, um, consider that, we'll consider that, but yeah, uh, I hope you did enjoy this episode, if you did enjoy, please, um, please drop a follow on your podcast app so you can get 
notified when the, the episodes come out um please leave a rating and review it helps getting the podcast out there obviously share it manually if you can follow my socials if you can follow some of my writing links if you want to keep up my latest work and obviously i'm always open to feedback and look and improve the, the production quality and some of i guess the, the footballing elements as well this is the uh, place where we like to generate ideas i want to hear from you i want to, I want to hear what you think about my takes did i get something wrong because I, I probably will get something wrong and i may have already got something wrong here but i hope you enjoy catch you again soon for another local breakdown or perhaps i'm a sports stone podcast thank you